This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I am Chris Hambling and I'm your host today as we look back at a 2-0 victory for Palace against Norwich City. Uh, Plenty to talk about, plenty of contact from you and I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp 0203 575 1266. Right, uh, let's talk to my panel first up. I mean, I've got, I suppose I get to start with him. It's, it's Mr. DR Kerners. Hello, DR. Hello. How's things for you? Yeah, it's good. Um, moved out. Um, living by myself now. So, yeah, it's first day in. I'm still alive. So, yeah, I'm thankful. <laughs> are, you in a, are you in like a halls of residence? Yep. Yes, I am. And it's different. Let me just say that. Okay. Dif- difference fine, difference good. Um, yeah, well, surviving. Any cooked any chicken this week? Um, that's on hold for now because I don't want to burn the place down. Um, no, so enough. yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, it's like before I was only, it's only me and my parents. So now there's way more people. So <laughs> yeah, I have to take precautions when I do stuff. So yeah, I haven't done that yet, but hopefully next week I should. Yeah, well. I look forward to, to that and other people staring at you incredulously when you're telling them that your chicken breast <laughs> has been in there for 45 minutes or something ridiculous. Right, moving swiftly on, Chris Clark. Hello. Hello. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a pretty busy week. Um, as you know, many of you will know, I'm uh, a Labour councillor, so I spent half of the week just gone down in Brighton at the Labour Party conference. Went straight there from the Wolves game, um, which felt like a defeat and affected my perception of the week that, I, that was to follow. Um, but yeah, good to be um, back on the show. I mean, what goes on at a Labour Party conference? Say, eh? any any exciting stories that, or um, you know things that you can't tell us? There's a story for offline. 
Um, but, <laughs> um, but basically, it's lots of political talk and drinking. It's a bit like the previous show, basically. <laughs> Excellent joke. I didn't even know I was setting you up for that, but it did. It was it was good. I enjoyed it. Well done. And uh, also, finally, it's Mr. Mike Scott. Hi, Mike. Hello. You all right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm smashing. Thanks. You. I'm not bad. I, I haven't gone for the week to the Labour Party conference uh, as much as I would have loved to have sat there for a week listening to people chat shit. Um, but I have had an all right week. Uh, nice curry last night. Fairly easy going. Um, looking for some uh, for, looking for a new job. Uh, oh, yeah. She stressed me out a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just want some more money, really. Should we explore um, what you're after with the with the listeners? So, Mike, um, time for you to sell yourself quickly. So, what, what are you looking for in terms of a job and uh, a financial package? Oh well, yeah, I didn't didn't think about using this medium. <laughs> uh, well, I'd like I'd like a nice IT job uh, on about uh, a few grand more than what I'm on, uh, preferably not so far away from where I live. Um, but uh, IT is. You hit a ceiling with IT, really, um, when you're in technical support. You, you sort of get to a certain point and you can't really go any further unless you start really specialising. So um, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should um, get into like tree crime podcasting as a full-time professional or something instead. Well, I'm, I'm up for that, mate, if you, if you want any support on that. Okay, um, obviously, if you want to get in touch with us, many of you are doing it the right way, uh, which is to <laughs> add your voice to a growing number of voices on uh, on whatsapp you can chuck your uh, our contact number 0203 575 1266 in your contacts and you can send us messages voice messages videos whatever you want and um well not whatever you want there are certain pictures we don't want to see if you're so kind but um other than that within reason send us what you like and um, you might well feature on the show but of course if you don't have social media you're not on twitter and instagram or anything like that there's a new thing called email which is like um which is like a letter sent through um through cyberspace and you can just type um you don't have to go to the post office you just do it through your internet browser and uh, our email address is hi at back of the nest.com um we also have a new podcast it launched last week um, called Your View, where we get a collection of your contact from the WhatsApp voice messages um, and just package those together so everyone can get a flavour of how everyone else is feeling and um, hopefully start getting some debate going on that as well. They get released on Tuesday evenings at 7pm. We also want to once again mention that um, Pack of the Nest is, is in the top 40 the best-selling football podcast ever. And obviously we don't sell it, but you know what I mean? And um, so it just at this point, we'd like to take the opportunity to thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your regular downloads. Please continue to share and, uh, and obviously rate the podcast as highly as humanly possible, um, which really does spread the word and, and help us progress. Anyway, let's get on with talking about the game. So first up, um, I think, I mean, I, I and many others had a should we say negative reaction when the lineup was announced uh, but rather than listen to me repeat myself in terms of explaining that got a couple of clips now coming right up from two of our valued listeners afternoon darren here and well same old turgid crap being churned out yet again at home there's nothing on there that screams out attacking to me townsend's on the bench myers on the bench and i'm assuming 
Camarasa was a hologram and a ruse, and he didn't really get signed at all. Um, I mean, what's the poor geezer got to do? He played really well for Cardiff last season, and it's almost as if it's like a graveyard. Come to Palace to do nothing and sit on your backside, get cast out. I just, oh, it's so disheartening every week, and you know it's almost as if Roy is so stubborn and set in his ways that he just does not want to change a thing. Hi, Daniel again. Um, just seeing, <coughs> excuse me, just seeing the lineup. Yeah, <laughs> no creativity in the middle of the park again. Ah, gonna be an interesting day. Well, there we go. Um, I mean, just to, to emphasize the point, I know we're starting with this, but we did win the game and <laughs> we are very happy about that. And we'll be talking about all the positives throughout the course of the show. But I think it's really interesting for us to to get into into that reaction because I had the, the same reaction myself and I kind of made the point that I, I felt that it almost I almost didn't think it was relevant whether or not we went on to win the game because of, of what the selection kind of showed us. Now, interestingly, the way the game panned out, um, I feel a little bit differently now. But um, and, I, and I do want to say I really enjoyed um, Darren's comment that um, that he suspect that suspects that Camarasa might actually be a hologram. So cheers for that, Darren. Uh, certainly um, nowhere to be seen at the moment. But you know, I, I, I've got my views on that. But let's um, let's hear from Chris next. So I'm I'm much less downbeat than I mean I, I always play this role of the kind of more optimistic person and that's genuinely because that's what I think so let's start with Camarasa we have not yet seen what he's capable of in a Palace shirt when he has come on uh, which is maybe once I think having from the games I've been at which is all except one um, he hasn't impressed me that's not to say that he won't go on to have a spectacular Palace career but he hasn't had the opportunity thus far so I'm going to hold judgment on whether it's the right or wrong thing Townsend I've been sad to see him dropped um, and I can understand the immediate negativity. I particularly enjoyed um, Hesketh jumping in on Twitter with the three DMs, um, yeah, three defensive midfielders um, in a starting eleven in a home game against a potential rival uh, in terms of league position at the end of the season. Um, but then, actually, when I when I, when you think about both, I've got two things I want to say about this. First is, I think. MacArthur, we missed his energy hugely when he hasn't played for us thus far this season, and he's proved a lot of us wrong uh, in terms of wondering for probably about a year or more now about whether he's passed it. Coyote, I think, is a really important addition to our team as well. And then finally, with regard to Jeffrey Schlupp, um, everyone, I'm a well-documented fan of his, but I, I actually think he had a really good game yesterday, and I think he made some very important attacking moves down the left-hand side. And he could easily have scored a goal as well. So I'm I'm not in with the negativity about that selection. I was not delighted, but I, I certainly wasn't worried when I saw that team come out. And yeah, I'm interested to hear others' views. Well, when when you talk about negativity, um, I think there's there's sort of two areas you can come from. Um, the first is uh, if you're being negative about a chance of watching. Uh, really fun, free-flowing football. And there was a couple of people were mentioning, oh, they, why am I going to sell us today? All I get is is, is boredom and misery. <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're joking. But um, 
I think I think people's objection was they didn't they didn't want another sort of um, a display where it was a, a ground out one nil. Um, but what I would say is that um, you know defensively, I'm not sure before yesterday, but certainly after the game, um, still the the, the best defence so far in the Premier League. So um, it's hard to it's hard to say Roy. Um, has done the wrong thing by selecting defensive midfielders from that point of view. Um, so if people are talking about it from from the sort of uh, how you how you watch a game of football and enjoying it, fair enough. But um, I wouldn't say I was I was upset with any of the choices he made. Kelly was um, something that had to happen because Saka was injured. Um, IU started rather than Benteke, so I was happy with that. Um, we didn't lose last game against the side that um, are in the Europa League. So, you know, you've got to look at the positives. And I, I think most people, it was more about um, not getting to see some sort of glittering free-flowing football than anything else. I agree with Mike, but <clears throat> with Camarasa, it's just when is he going to get the opportunity to really show himself? Um, you look at the bench and you've got Scott Dan and James Tompkins there, both on the bench. And this was the case last week against Wolves as well, where you had uh, Martin Kelly and Scott Dan there, I believe. Um, so we always decide to go with two centre-halves on the bench. And I feel like that's going to limit Camarasa's opportunities because we ha- we're not in a cup competition for him to come out and show himself. So where does it really fit in if Roy continues to, continues to do the same thing? And that's the only thing I'm slightly worried about because we've got him on, out on loan. He has potential to be a good player because, it, like, yes, he's done that with Cardiff, but I feel like we've got a better squad than Cardiff, so he might even be able to do even more with our squad. But it seems like he's not really going to get the opportunity unless an injury happens, and you don't want other players to be injured. But that's the only case. I don't see Roy giving him an opportunity without it. I think what's what's really important to sort of understand in the discussions over Camarasa and, and, you know, and Max Mayer still as well, because... I mean, a lot of people will be saying, you know, well, you know, Mayer hasn't pulled up any trees when he has played. Roy started him at the beginning of the season and he lost his place when Schlupp came back. And it's pretty clear from, and we might talk about this more later on, but it's pretty clear from Roy's comments this week that, I don't know, again, I, I speculate that he listens because every time I, you know, I, well, I laid into Schlupp last week about him not being a central midfielder. And this week, Roy's talking about how people underrate him and, you know, he doesn't get the respect he deserves and all that kind of stuff. So, shut up, Roy. Uh, but anyway, um, the point I'm, I'm, I'm actually angling towards making is that with players like Camarasa and Mayer, the problem I have with it, and the, and the reason I think that you know whilst Roy is here, we are going to struggle to see them in any meaningful way, is that Roy won't change the system to accommodate the different skill set. You know, he has the way that he wants to play, uh, and the players that he selects kind of week in week out are the ones he trusts to do it. And it's very difficult for a, a player to come in because they have to basically play like the person that they're replacing because they're, they're going to be judged accordingly. And, you, you know, Max Mayer coming on, onto the pitch, he's not going to play like Coyote. He's not going to play like Luka Milivojevic. And he's not going to play like James MacArthur. And he certainly isn't going to play like Jeffrey Schlupp. So with that, unless we, or, you know, by we, I mean the, the coaching staff, change something to, to look at how Mayer plays football... He's not going to play on a regular basis. Now, unfortunately, I think the same goes for Camarasa. I think our recruitment needs to slightly change as well if Roy Hodgson decides to remain as a manager from um, this season onwards because it's obvious um, that he, what type of transfers he wanted 
he clearly wanted McCarthy. Um, he's put, put him on a couple of times um, this season. Uh, he also wanted Gary Cahill. You could see that by him starting. Um, but players like Camarasa, and you think about the tactics, for example, it doesn't fit into his style of play. And I feel like we're wasting money for no reason. I don't think we should force it anymore and try to get creative players just for the sake of it. I think we should just get players that Roy 100% approves on because we're going to end up in a situation where we're just wasting money on wages for no reason. I mean, we've got a good enough squad to keep cameras out. Okay, fair enough. But we could have got someone and we could have paid way less for someone else. Um, and that would have been much better personally. Well, I agree with the point you're making in terms of making sure that the manager wants the players you get. And I, and I dare say that you're, 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 you know, we don't know, we don't know the full story, but I would suggest that you're probably right in saying that there were other players that Roy was much more keen to get. And it's clear that those players are in the starting lineup. You know, he was clearly keen to get Gary Cahill and rightly so. Um, we'll talk more about Gary Cahill today. Uh, very keen to get IU in. And he was, you know, hugely keen to get James McCarthy in. But, you you know, you would speculate perhaps not so keen to get someone like Camarasa in, who, but, you know, again, bottom line is the players do have to, to, to earn their way into the team and they've got to play well enough when they get there. It's just, you know, like you're, you're kind of hinting at DR, Roy's not going to change. So, but that look, it, 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 there are positives and negatives to that to that way of playing. So let's um, let's get more into the actual game um, and and some of the incidents that happened within it. And we'll start by uh, hearing from Daniel again. Hi, um, this is Daniel again. Just back home in Woolwich from the um, Palace, sorry, Palace Norwich game. Um, it is an interesting game. Uh, we still lack a lot of creativity. And I feel that that might be a problem with sides that decide that they're going to be sitting back against us. Norwich try to be very open. They passed the ball pretty well. Um, I think that we actually won that game in the middle of the park. I think that we were putting in some strong challenges. We didn't give them a real opportunity to settle and, and get their passing game uh, on. Um, Kyote is unbelievable and I am so glad that he's actually playing for us because he is the legs in that mid, in, in the middle of the park. Same with James MacArthur. I think he had um I think he had a good game. But yeah, we won it because we were able to really bat out battle them in the middle of the park, basically. So it's a good comments there from Daniel. Enjoyed that uh, that review. Still, it is a little bit more down than than I expected. A little bit more philosophical, perhaps than uh, than a two 0 victory directly afterwards. You might feel that, that that someone would be. However, I think it's a good good um, good insight uh, in there. Particularly, I'd like to comment about the midfield because the midfield for me was the huge positive. It was it was the thing that frustrated me perhaps the most uh, in not killing Wolves off because it was very flat. Um, and again, you go back to perhaps the, the first, particularly the first half against Spurs, where the, the midfield three were very tight together, very, very static in a line. And that gap between defence and, and, um, and midfield was just exploited by Spurs in, in, a, in a quite horrific way for us to watch. And we had none of that really against, against Norwich, other, other than for the period of the, the first half. Uh, probably last twenty minutes of the first half, where we got under pressure, and they they did that, and they and they dropped into that that sort of tight three formation, 
which really doesn't look good. The midfield was so much more positive. You had MacArthur popping up in and around the box, which is obviously how we got the penalty. Coyote the same um, on, on the sort of left-hand side of the three. But they, you know, the movement, the, the sort of interchange of, of position and the fact that Luke got to sit there and be much more of the kind of, I don't want to call it the quarterback role, but that kind of linchpin, if you like, in, in midfield, I felt that was so much more positive. And it really did surprise me because I went into the game, as we talked about earlier, with that can't believe we'd gone with the same selection again. What we expect and anything to be any different, but it was different. The game plan was different. The emphasis was different. The tempo was different. And it came from that midfield. Exactly. And you, you have to give credit to Roy Hodgson for that, um, I think, because even Martin Kelly after the game, he said that we had a game plan today to press them from the front and not give Norwich um, any, any time on the ball. That's what he said to the official Palace website after the game. And you saw it there. Um, I feel like Roy Hodgson's tactic going into the game and instruction to the players, especially in the midfield, it worked out fantastically because even from what I've seen from Norwich, they don't change their style of play. Every game, they will try to play out from the back. And if we decided to go with our usual tactics, which was play on the counter, um, I feel like we might have struggled this game. But Roy Hodgson actually changed it up and... Just like the Tottenham game where me and you argued, Hambo, I feel like he's adjusted and he's done the right thing and this time he has paid off. As I said, in that game, sometimes it will pay off, sometimes it won't. And this time Roy's tactics did and you have to give him credit. And on the same note, um, it's important to make the point that normally what happens, of course, is that we get these um, press quotes from Roy saying we were better second half. In this case, we were clearly well set up in the first half and we dominated for the first 20-25 minutes. Once the goal had gone in, things changed a little bit and that's something I'm sure we'll talk about in terms of analysing what happened after the goal and the pressure we were put under and withheld. But um, I think it's important to just put give credit to the fact that we had a game plan which was to play hard rather than sit back as we normally do and it worked. Well, I think... I mean, we we can talk about that now a little bit because I'm I'm very interested in in what that was in terms of of the the drop off in the in the first half because as you say we're set up very well and, and Roy got it absolutely spot on from the start but that reaction after the goal where we've been critical and we, well I'll say we I in particular have been critical of Roy in the past about this you know the negative attitude I don't think I can. I certainly can't blame Roy for that reaction to us scoring a goal. And it does point to there being a mentality situation with the players. And, and that comes from, I guess, from losing late goals on a, on a couple of occasions and a couple of poor performances, perhaps. But I think the way the midfield did drop back and, and tuck in and become very, very narrow, you know, I'm, I'm less convinced that that's a specific instruction when we're trying to keep it tight. And perhaps it's, it's more of a natural reaction uh, that the players are having, and perhaps that's what keeps getting corrected <laughs> at half time in order to make us have those better second halves. And there was certainly something up between um, MacArthur and, and Milivojevic towards the end of the first half, which would indicate they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I think you're spot on that he corrected it at half time. Um, but I think it's important to note that I haven't really noticed us going into our shells. Um, in that way after we've gone ahead very much this season. I mean, that's partly because we haven't gone ahead very much, but um, it's 
it seems to me that it's hard. I know you talked about it in the press conference, as you say, a fair bit, um, how Norwich had their best 20 minutes of the game um, after after Milivojevic's goal. Um, but I think it's hard to read too much into it because, A, that was the only period in the game that they had it, really. I mean, it didn't... It wasn't a second-half time where things got nervy, you know, towards the end where you'd think maybe you've got they've got in their heads, oh, this is what happened against Wolves, we might concede. It didn't look that way in the second half. So I wonder if it's enough to be dissecting it too much just because Norwich had a good 20 minutes out of 95. I think that's that's a really good point. And I think the, the last thing I really want to say and what we're currently talking about, to go back to something that DR was pointing out about you know pressing Norwich high. And I think that's something that we've got to learn from because it, it does suit us a little a little bit more than perhaps you might think. And the main reason is if we're pressing high, it means the midfield is automatically having to push up the pitch. And that makes it so much easier for us when we're having these games where we've got more of the ball and we're not playing on a break. It makes it so much easier for us to, to move the ball quickly and create an opportunity. Um, and we were still a little bit, you know, as, as Daniel was saying in his clip, there was still a little bit of a struggle to properly create and I really you know Wilf was probably the difference in that in the terms because you know he was on it was absolutely on fire uh periods in that game and really you know made the difference between us spending a long time with the ball and creating nothing and, and us creating a few key chances but you know that's that's not to to damn the the club or the manager for, with faint praise we used the players we got effectively and came out winning the game which it was a hugely important game with the run we've got coming up um, against some very very good teams over the next six games um, so let's talk a little bit about the goals so obviously the penalty came from what, what we've discussed which is a midfielder getting into the box Wilf playing the ball to James McCarthy touched it away from goal and former uh, Palace target Ibrahim Amadou clattering into McCarthy I saw on um I think it was um, Sky Sports News or something like that. It was referred to as a controversial penalty. Did anyone see it as a controversial it, penalty? Um, so, obviously, during the game, it's miles away from uh, E-Block of the Homesdale, so it was hard to see. But looking back, um, he didn't really... He took him out, but um, he, he, there was no follow-through. It's sort of hard to explain without seeing it, but there was no follow-through in his leg whatsoever. So he, he stopped himself. He sort of checked himself from from knocking him over. So I would say anywhere else on the pitch, um, is a you know a good argument to say that it wasn't a penalty. The fact that he he gave it, John Moss gave it, um, meant that VAR wasn't going to overturn it because it, it, a bit like um, when you're watching the cricket and the ball just you know manages to just touch the, the, the bales. Um, it was once, once you've given it, it's hard to overturn it because it's half a dozen of one, six of the other. Um, so I can see why it's controversial. Norwich were, were shouting VAR. Um, didn't hear that at the time, but heard it back on the on the TV replays. Um, and then, you know, went to VR, VR and it's fine. Um, interestingly, I think that the one that uh, where t- um Zahar got knocked over seems just as much of a penalty as that one. Yeah, I'd say I'd say for sure. Um, like, yeah, there's definitely the the approach to VAR at the moment, isn't it? They're just not they're going to go with whatever the ref says unless it's really clear that it's not the case. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think Wilf perhaps even more of a penalty. It was, I mean, it was it was a clumsy challenge, and they did a really good bit on um, goals on Sunday where they talked about the reaction of 
the defensive team as much as the the attacking team and the players and how they react. And most of Norwich's players immediately within you know within a split second of the challenge going in looked at the ref, and that tells you that you know there was enough contact for that to to that to have been a legitimate foul. Although I can, I can see you know obviously MacArthur was definitely as soon as that contact was there, he was definitely going down to ground to to, to get that penalty. There was a couple of VAR incidents um, in yesterday's game. Um, you, if you watch at home, you probably would have noticed them. But people always, they, well, it seems like majority are slating VAR recently. But yesterday's game, you have to give credit to VAR and Jonathan Moss on how he used VAR because I feel like Jonathan Moss' performance without the VAR um, was poor um, and how he managed the game. But in terms of um, VAR stopping the game, everything seemed so smoothly. It happened more than two occasions, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, and yeah, you have to give credit to VAR there. But on the downside of the refereeing yesterday is the fact that there were times there was just there was just one incident where there was a Norwich player who was actually off the field, and the Norwich players went to have a water break. And I just don't like your Premier League referee. You should have control over the game. You should say play on. It doesn't matter if he's off the field; he's getting treated there. And that's the one thing that annoyed me. But it was nothing to do with VAR. It was just John from Moss himself, and it was just so poor from him. And I just wanted to go back to the Wilf penalty incident because I was absolutely convinced it looked really obvious, but obviously we're at the far end of the pitch from that in terms of where we stand. So was it as clear and obvious as it looked on the telly? For some bizarre reason, it wasn't even picked up in the highlights that are on the Palace website, which I've watched back. And But I would have thought there was a scope for a VAR review on that and it didn't happen. Well, I, I don't know... You don't don't always seem to know if they actually have VAR reviewed some of these things. Um, if the ball, if the if play doesn't stop, um, it seems to get sort of reviewed. It doesn't go up on the screen because play is carrying on. I think it was looked at and, and refused. In fact, I know it was looked at and refused. Um, but it looked. It's difficult not to look at it with bias, though, isn't it? I don't know how a neutral would view it. I, I thought it was a. I thought it was a penalty because it was a. It was a slightly mistimed challenge, but. You know, I've seen far worse challenges of that on Wilf go unpunished as well. So I guess it's difficult to tell. I uh, downloaded the Sky Half Hour highlights and the, the two commentators came to the conclusion that it wasn't a penalty. Um, it did get reviewed and it, and it wasn't overturned. So, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with at least three sources. Um, what I wanted to bring up was um, from watching those 30 minute highlights, um, it was interesting that it came across that Norwich were hard done by by John Moss because while I was at the game, it felt like we were hard done by by John Moss and he made some terrible decisions. Um, he got the old, you don't know what you're doing, uh, who's the worker in the black? And and it felt thoroughly justified. So um, it's it's weird how you can take highlights that are you know probably a quarter of the length of the full, full length of the game um, and they can make it seem like... Um, it's totally the opposite to what you saw when you watched the full night here at the, the, the stadium. Very odd. I mean, Moss is just a terrible ref for everybody, but when, when certainly when you're in the ground, it'll always feel worse for you. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it, you're right. It, it did look it did look hard on Norwich, but I think we all know we all know the truth. Um, so look, plenty happened in between, but there's there's not really anything to to pick out in any major way. So let, let's talk about the, the the injury time goal because it was a thing of beauty. You know, you know, Max Mayer was on the pitch, received the ball on the left hand side, 
and and the pass is absolutely exquisite. He's facing away towards his defence, and it, and in one motion is just sort of span and and put a brilliant curling ball down the line. But it shouldn't be underestimated how good the anticipation and run from Wilfred Zaha is as well, because the two aren't looking at each other. You know, they're they're it's almost telepathic knowing what what Mayer was going to do and Wilf reading that. So absolutely superb. Brilliant skill from Wilf, very much vintage Wilfred Zaha. Runs past the defence, and, and it was picked up again, I think Goals on Sunday said it, where um, it might have even been Sam Allardyce, I think it was, it was Sam, who said that in you know a few years back, even maybe a couple of years back, Wilfred Zaha always shoots when he comes across the goal like that. Absolutely, gonna, he's going to take a shot, and every now and then maybe, maybe one will go in, but... Um, the maturity he plays with these days means that he, he picked out Andros with a lovely pass. Andros, plenty of time to control it. Uh, good finish and, and, and drilled it in. So a really pleasing goal. Obviously, it took a lot of pressure off. and You could certainly see on the on the sidelines that, that the coaching staff in particular were nervous uh, watching, the, watching the team see it out. But um, yeah, very, very positive. And I, th- I thought it's interesting um, seeing Roy's comments on Andros Townsend afterwards because obviously Andros has lost his place and a lot of people have, have talked about him being in poor form, but um, it was kind of, well, it was confirmed that both the club <laughs> in terms of the management staff and Andros himself agreed with that assessment that he had been poor and he hadn't been contributing and did deserve to lose his place in the team. Um, and that's very much a, a step in the right direction to see him come back. Um, we'll talk about the subs in a bit, but I, yeah, I thought it was an excellent goal and, and relieved and, um, I was unfortunately unable due to illness to uh, to be in the ground. But Mike, Dr. Chris, how did you uh, greet that particular winner? I mean, it it was it went off definitely. Um, it it kind of looked like it was coming for a for a fairly long period. Once uh, for, for you know for the last twenty minutes with the personnel change, um, it, it didn't really look at any point like Norwich were going to get one back. But then it didn't really look like that for Wolves the week before. Um, I think what people really liked about it was um, the link-up, Mayo, Wilf, Townsend. Um, and you're looking at the the sort of a, a flare three that um, the starting lineup was missing. So that, to an extent, gave people that were already moaning the justification to say, well, that's, that's what Palace should be doing. Um, but that was a product of Norwich being worn, really heavily worn down. Uh, I mean, they were run ragged. So um, it was the goal was a product of um, being late on in the game, and and uh, there being a lot of space. Um, it, it's good that it's good that he knows how to exploit these kind of situations. Um, but you wouldn't have got that goal fifteen minutes into the game. One thing that I was actually impressed by <laughs> was the fact that I think a few minutes before that um, we had a corner and we decided to take a short corner instead of going for the second goal and Roy Hodgson and the players did talk about that after the game and how they talked about in the lead up to the game that they could do better better in game management and that's one thing that I was very impressed by but with Andros I think this season he I don't blame Roy Hodgson for dropping him because his performances has been below par but one thing that I did pick up when he did come on yesterday was the fact that he decided to cross more on his right and uh, with his right foot um, on the right hand side instead of cutting in, and I think that's going to help him a lot if he can continue doing that because his game was predictable. It was the fact that he just on the right hand side cuts to the left hand side, 
and teams have figured him out. But now, if he does that, I think he can be more of a threat. And like that, he could find his place back in the starting eleven. Definitely, although um, <laughs> we all know how he'd be accommodated in that starting eleven. We'll talk about that in a bit. Okay, just to sort of uh, see off the, the sort of reaction to the game itself, let's get a, a couple more listener clips now. We'll start with, um, with one from Ebo. Hello, Ebo again, after match. Uh, happy with that result. Hard work, though, a little bit. Again, we go 1-0 up. And it just seems like we seem to drop deep then and just invite Norwich on, uh, which was a bit scary because they look quite good on the break. Um, still very frustrated with the fact that we don't try and play someone a bit creative in midfield. Uh, I thought Macca was the best of the midfield three. QI ran around a lot, but... I don't know, did anyone notice the uh, constant arguing between Macca and Luca from about, I don't know, towards the last 10 minutes of the first half? It was a bit weird. I don't know what was going on there. Great when he brought Andros on. Gave us a little bit more impetus. That was good. Um, and the link up with Wilf at the end for that goal, which was just at the right time, really, because it looked like we were going to go and do what we did against Villa, do what we did against Wolves and concede a last-minute goal, which... Uh, would have been a real kick in the teeth, really. Um, I don't know. I'm happy with the result. Going into the international break, that's uh, that's always good to go around there with a win. Uh, I think that means Luca's on a band for the next match as well. I think he picked up a yellow at the end there. So that'll be interesting to see what happens without him being able to be in midfield. But I would imagine it just means that he's going to put McCarthy, MacArthur and Kiyate in the middle. And I've got to say, I was a little bit disappointed with Jeffrey Schlupp. I don't really know what he adds to the team. But anyway, 2-0. Happy with that. So thanks, Ebo. I called you Ebo again. I've got to stop doing that. I'm going to have to write it in my, my show notes with many more E's so I say it correctly. Um, but yeah, a um, few interesting points in there. Um, I think in particular, I mentioned it earlier, the slight... Um, disagreement it seemed between MacArthur and, and Luca. But um interested he picked out uh, MacArthur as the, the, the stronger performer um over Coyote because I thought I thought both were excellent. He's absolutely right to pick them pick the two out. But for me Coyote was uh, was slightly the stronger but um and I also just want to suggest that yes Luca is out the international break is an extra week isn't it? We've got West Ham first and um yeah, but I, I, my opinion is right. We won't see McCarthy come into the side. We'll see Andros come into the side, and uh, and someone else drop from the front three into the central midfield area. And I'll um, I'll leave it at that. Um, I think um, Ebo he point he made a really very good point with the Luca thing because we've talked about it in a couple of games where when we suffer defeat and we're asking who's the leader of this team. And is this not the only game that Luca's done this? I've seen Luca argue with Wolf a lot in the past. Um, so yesterday with um, MacArthur, I think at one point he argued with Joe Ward. And that's what you need. You need players out there that actually care and that have passion. You're on a football pitch and the fact that Luca's taking other players accountable and questioning them, that's what you need. Because there's been so many games this season where after the game we're talking about all right, who was the leader there? Why was there no passion? And Luca, as a captain, I feel like he's doing a great job in taking other people accountable. And I think it works out well in the end as well. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Afternoon, gents. Darren here. Just the second half is just finished. Um, had a few minutes to digest what was going on. A um, couple of things towards the end of the game. You know, we all said last week about game management and seeing out the end of the game. Um, Wilf has three or four players on him uh, down by their corner flag. Still manages to retain possession. Uh, kill a couple of seconds there. Within about about the 86th minute, I look up at the telly and uh, Luke has gone down with cramp and Gary Cahill decides he's going to have a little sit down in the box. I mean, I know there's like game management and seeing out the end of the game. Um, but then 30 seconds after that, we bring on our last substitution and Max Meyer comes on. Um, you know, it's like, it's all or nothing. We had nothing last week. And now all of a sudden, we're doing everything this week. Um, well pleased for Andros coming on and getting the second goal. Um, I think uh, it was nice to see a positive substitution. Well, there we go. Nice to see a positive substitution. Well, we'll come to that particular topic in just a moment. But thanks uh, thanks for your comments there, Darren. Thanks to everyone who, who sent in their reactions. Obviously, check the podcast, um, Your View, out. It comes out on Tuesday uh, for the full clips and the full details of everybody's reaction there. Uh, but you know, I, I won't expand any more on that. We'll, we'll get into, um, into our second topic, which Mike is going to take us through now. I can certainly do that for you, no problem. Uh, and I think one of the main things that came out of yesterday's game was um, our defence, really. Um, obviously, Sacco was injured again. Um, not sure how severe that is, but it meant that Cahill and Kelly uh, were the starting two. So, I think the real discussion point... Cahill, Dan and Kelly um, definitely would be considered the backups to the start of the season. Um, I know a few people were a little bit bemused that we signed Cahill. Um, I think they've probably all changed their mind by now. Um, they've all been good. Um, they've all been great. I mean, Dan probably not quite ripped up as many trees as the other two. Um, but I think the question is whether Roy has a sort of happy, happy headache. Um, with Tompkins back uh, he was on the bench yesterday um on 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 you sub um what what's he going to do um so Cahill was absolutely incredible um i think he was for me he was summed up by there was one cross excellent cross and he 
the sinews of his neck kind of bent as he he leapt up to head a ball out for a throw um, that otherwise would have fallen at whichever strike it was. I think it was the the young guy with the the floppy hair. I can't remember his name, um, but uh, yeah, I mean he was he was excellent again. Um, so comment from. Jafar Jar 8 on Twitter saying absolutely loving Gary Cahill. Not only his leadership and defending, but his passion as well. What a signing. Uh, that sums it up pretty well. And then Charles Meyer. Sacco was dropped for Kelly. I mean, that's not quite true because he, he was injured. but um, And uh, as he has been all season, Kelly was an absolute rock in defence. Would you allow Kelly to keep his shirt over Sacco at this point? Or for, I guess for that matter... Um, over over Tompkins. I I think if you drop Kelly right now, you're sending a wrong message to the rest of the squad. Um, yes, Sacco is the better player, but right now Kelly is on form, and he should start ahead of Sacco until Sacco is fit. And then when Sacco gets his opportunity, if he takes a well, then yes, it will be his position. But for now, I'll take Kelly over Sacco. And another thing that I want to talk about is Gary Cahill. Yes, he had a fantastic game yesterday, but I don't know if others have noticed, uh, but over the last couple of home games, um, when I've, because of uh, we're sitting and blocky, you get to see the whole pitch. And when Cahill is on our side, especially, you can see that he's the alpha of this team. I think even when Saka comes back, that, that thing won't change because even last game when Saka was there alongside Cahill, Cahill's still the vocal player. And... Next game where Lucas dropped, I think yes, it is. You might you might argue that it's early days, but I'll give Cahill the captaincy because his passion, yes, is brilliant, but he's a true leader on the pitch. He really is, and I mean, what a signing he's been. But in terms of the headache as well that you mentioned, I think it is yeah. Roy does have a headache, but it's a good combination because. If you look at Roy's tactics, we've criticised him for being too defensive, but now he, he's got the quality players there to execute his defensive plans. And I feel like overall, this our back line and the options that we have, it just worked out so well for Roy Hodgson because it just plays into his game plan. And I think what we've got to decide is which roles we want players to perform. I think it's fairly clear that both Sacco historically has been a very vocal player calling people to line up in the correct positions and telling them where to stand for free kicks and corners and so on. Cahill does that too. And we've already seen that there have been clashes when the two of them have been playing that role. So it may be that we require one player who is the leader, the lead central defender, and then the other one. And at the moment, Kelly is the other one. It may be that once Tompkins is fit, if he can retain fitness, then he becomes that second centre-back. But for me, that that's the structure that you've got, and it's it's pretty much an invidious choice between those. That's that's my take on it. Well, the only other thing I wanted to add into the mix was it seems to me, uh, so I had a look on whoscored.com um, at Cahill's heat map, um, and it looked very much like he was shepherding PVA a little bit um, with his positioning um, throughout the game. So, is it regardless of, of how much you'd call him an alpha? Say he was put in a position where he was asked by Roy to look after PVA, 
and Saka was looking after Ward. I mean, that that could that could potentially work as well. I mean, I guess we, it's all speculation because we don't know how these people work together as uh, as as teammates. So we're kind of guessing really by what we see on the pitch from them shouting at each other. But I think it's, it's you're right. It's difficult to judge. I mean, Cahill won't have a specific job to to organise PVA, particularly as he's 28, 29, has been playing football for a long time, PVN, and should know what his job is. Um, you know, people might argue that on the evidence of some of his positioning, but, you know, he is he is an attacking fullback and, he's, and his mindset's always of, of that ilk. But Gary Cahill was the type of player, you know, an out-and-out leader, an out-and-out organiser, who will organise whoever's next to him. I think there's potentially a, a conflict there with Sacco, who likes to do the same and also likes to be the left-sided centre-back. So I think you've got you've got a bit of an issue there. For me, you cannot entertain the idea of whilst he's at the football club of of Sacco not being first choice centre back with Cahill. I think Cahill Cahill is a better centre back than Kelly, Dan, and and in all honesty, probably Tompkins as well. But I think I think Sacco is on his on his day he's equal, um, if not slightly better. So that that's my personal view of it. Um, but having said all that, when you look at the evidence of admittedly one game in particular, um, comparing sort of the, the game we played against um, against Wolves, it definitely looked more comfortable having Cahill alongside Kelly, and Kelly's performance was, was excellent. Um, so... There's an argument to say you don't you don't drop something that works and you don't drop players who play well and um, I don't think you could have asked any more from from Kelly or from from Cahill. In that there way. was some random bloke on Twitter and I'm sorry I haven't got it in front of me. Hopefully you know who you are and uh, you get all the credit. Um, suggesting supposing we were to have uh, three centre backs, um, you know, playing uh, possibly in terms of strength for squad. Um, centre midfield and, and centre backs are the th- are place, places we're most strong with so uh, would two wing backs and, and three at the back be something that Roy would entertain or not I don't know if he would but uh, definitely you know we could have three excellent centre backs mm. yeah but do we have two excellent wing backs um... well that's that's the question yeah Joel Ward as, as wing back would be uh, an interesting thought alright <laughs> I'm not going to disrespect Ward this week. I think he did. He did very well. Um, he's, he's looked looked very solid of late. Um, yeah. Other than the incident <laughs> from last week of trying to head a ball on the ground, which is what what you want to do, really, is it? Um. So, should we talk substitutes? I guess. So. Um, I suppose the first question that we've got from Rob, Rob underscore two on Twitter, says that the uh, fact that Roy hasn't brought on Benteke, has he finally seen the light? Gives us that opportunity, I guess, to talk about Benteke. There was a tweet I saw for possibly an article or some sort of opinion piece from Sky Sports saying, how do you solve a problem like Benteke? And quite a lot of people suggesting that to not play him is the way to solve the problem. Um, we talked last week at length about the fact that that he's very much gone, but I guess the question is: Do we do we look at the fact that when IU came off, it wasn't it wasn't automatic that Roy went to Benteke, that the Roy's decided that 
even people who aren't strikers are, are possibly now a better option to, to put out on the pitch. I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, it's a tough one. I think after the game against Wolves, um, you saw the finger, two fingers to the fans, um, where I think he was talking about the striker options and how he hasn't got many. You can see that he he even he now understands that you can't play Benteke just for the sake of him um, trying to get a new contract and try and get his form back. I think he made the right decision. Um, I said it, I think I said it in last, but I can't remember, or, or it was on last sport, that I'm done with experimenting with Benteke uh, because I don't think there's a way back for him, especially under Roy Hodgson. But the substitution, actually, taking IU off from Maya, that was a bit questionable. I find that a bit confusing because I didn't really expect that. I thought he would have went with a, with a defensive approach. Well, of course, it did work out at the end because I, Maya was involved with scoring with the second goal. But again, um, Roy doing something unexpected and that's something that's something that I've been calling for for a very long time. Do something different and he's doing it. I mean, I, I felt like that substitute was more to kill time than anything else. Um, but I feel like Benteke isn't isn't really the issue to discuss because the reason he didn't come on is simply that IU was really good um, and there's no need to take off a fully fit striker that's looking threatening. So you can have a, an informed striker on the bench, but if you've got a decent one on the pitch, I mean, it, it, you shouldn't take him off, surely. No, I think that's a really good point. I think that at times... I think Ayu's demeanour actually makes him look perhaps more tired than he is at times. He sort of hit, hits that sort of 60, 65 minute mark. He's usually picked up a yellow card and he's usually got a look on his face. It looks like he's dead on his feet. But, you know, there was a point where I thought he was going to get taken off and then, then he went on this storming run down the right-hand side. You think, oh, OK, fair enough. You, uh, you're not quite as tired as you look then. And um, it was good to see him on for as long as he was to get to get a 90 minutes under his belt. But is it... Oh, go on, Chris. I think Mike's right about the 90 minutes. It was mainly a substitution intended to consume time. But the other thing that you've got to remember is that, you know, we have a history of putting, or Roy has a history specifically, of putting Townsend and Zaha up as the two front prongs of a deeper-lying midfield. So, you know, and, and I think that's what that's kind of what we saw with what happened in the end of the game. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, Roy, uh, it, Wilf was definitely central and um, the mayor had taken that left-hand side position. But I think that takes us neatly into talking about the subs in general because as much as I am very, very positive about the result and very, very happy with the performance, there was just a little thing in this sort of the way these subs came about that grated me a little bit. And now you can probably argue that and I really want to emphasise the words I used there a little bit because it was a tiny amount. But that first substitution where Andros Townsend is coming on, now you can't criticise the fact that Andros has come on pitch because he's a very good player. We needed a bit of an impetus and we needed something to change and he ended up scoring the second goal. So looks like a good sub. Where where I have... <laughs> I'm going to tiptoe through this carefully. Where I have a, a slight issue is, is... Well, let's look at it. So Coyote is the player he replaces, right? So in, in my opinion, unless the system's changing, which it didn't, unless the system's changing, if you're taking off Coyote, you should be looking for a, a central midfielder to come on. There's a couple available on the bench there. You know, one who didn't make the bench. 
Um, or if you're looking for to get town specifically get Townsend on the pitch, and you're, again you're not changing the system, when you've got to look to to one of those wide players or even the centre centre forward to come off the pitch. So the substitution he made of taking off Chet Coyote, putting on Andros Townsend just so Jeffrey Schlupp could remain on the pitch in central midfield, it grates me. Because I don't, I said it before, I rate Jeffrey Schlupp as a footballer. I think he is a good footballer, in particularly when he's playing on the left-hand side. And I, and I really like him in the wide wide left of a three. I don't like him as a central midfielder. And it grates the hell out of me that he's still seen as, as a better option in central midfield than Max Mayer, Victor Camarasa, James McCarthy... Anyone else? I don't know. It, you know, it, but you get what I'm, get what I'm getting at. So no one's suggesting they want to argue with me. But does anybody want to argue with me? Well, I had this argument with you before, haven't I? Um, regarding yeah. the pace issue, yes, I think yes. You're saying Jeffrey Schlupp is not a midfielder, and, and I agree. But he didn't start Jeffrey Schlupp in midfield. He moved him there for how long? Um, let me see when the substitution was. But I think around twenty minutes. Yeah, it's twenty minutes. We was in control of the game. He decided to go with the pace option, and it's, it's like it's nothing changed. We still had control over the game, so I was not too worried about it. And against the Tottenham game, same thing again. He he went with pace, and I'm happy with it because I understand his thinking. Ah, uh, it's a mentality thing for me, though. What is the mentality that that uh, under no circumstances will he take Jeffrey Schlupp off the pitch? <laughs> and I'm not saying he played particularly badly or anything like that. And, and I'm not certainly not criticizing him for. For this particular match, but in my opinion, it's gonna it is gonna cost us at some point, and I would really like to have seen that change. I totally agree with getting Andrus Townsend on the pitch, but you know, and, and Schlapp hadn't actually hadn't actually done anything to deserve being taken off either. By the way, playing in the left hand of the three, I think he'd done very very well. But if you're going to make that change and not change the system, for me, the, the obvious sub you're not going to take Wilf off because he was having a stormer. So for me, the obvious sub is is to get Townsend fresh legs, get him on for Jeffrey Schlupp rather than shoehorn Schlupp into midfield. But if you but if you're desperate to take off Coyote because he's tiring or something like that, then put put Mayer on, give him twenty minutes. For the love of God, stop stop with this, stop this obsession with Jeff. But I think it's a positive mentality though. I I think it's I think it. Yeah, well, it is because he's not going defensive and he's still going attacking. Um, I think that's that's what you want to see, especially at home, because it it has worked so far this season. Though we are unbeaten in six games, and if you look at, at home, home, at yeah. home, we're not unbeaten in six games. I, I love home. this. Wait. Everyone's really really keen on sort of really specific statistics at the moment to, to prove their point. Stop it. Look what? at every game. Look at all games. Look at all matches home and away. Look at everything. Doing really well on points per game. If you if you look at the overall performances in every game this season, quite often we've been shit. That's what I'll say. But I'm, I'm happy at the moment. But we've got the results. So I don't really care about how... Last season, we was good. We kept possession. We had lots of shots, but we didn't get the results. I'd rather us be shit and then get the points. And that's what well, we I mean, have at the end of the day. Because right no. now, it's better as it is than it was last season when we were taking lots of shots but couldn't score. Yeah, I don't know. I'm in a slightly different place with it at the minute. But, I mean, I will vary throughout the course of the season and how I feel. Certainly by the end of the season, um, I will no doubt be very appreciative of the points we're getting at the moment. But my current gripe is, is, a, is a little bit in terms of 
well, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Boredom, stagnation. I'm just feeling a little bit, and it's a dangerous way to feel, particularly as a supporter. But anyway, Chris, you've been waiting a while. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I just wanted to jump in and say a few words in defence of Jeffrey Schlupp because I think he had a good game yesterday, and you know that's that's anecdotal, but it's based on you know player watching him for quite a significant period of time. He was in good positions. He was you know putting a hell of a lot of energy in, and he made some really good incisive attacking runs. He wasn't just the negative defensive figure that he is sometimes made out to be and I think he has a lot to offer if he is moved into central midfield at certain opportunities so you know I'd, I'd like to see him continue to be given a chance I think he will be because Roy is, in, is nothing if not stubborn and you know we're, we're going to have to get used to that frankly but I also don't think it's the you know really hard to justify decision it may also be that he sees something different in terms of training and endurance and fitness that other players are not, you know, supporting, and you know that he knows that the player can do ninety minutes. You just said the same about Ayu, and I would agree with that. You know, it, it may well be that he's showing that in that endurance in training that means he's got absolute confidence in the player, and that's why he's continuing to pick him and keep him on for ninety minutes. Yeah, the, the point really is isn't that I'm saying. So you didn't need to defend his performance because I thought it was. A, I agree, it was a good performance, and I don't think he deserved to be substituted for anything anything performance related the point i'm making is that i think bottom line is if if i'm looking for a central midfielder and my squad is the squad that roy has at his disposal jeffrey schlapp is not going to be selected as a central midfielder ahead of quite a few of the others right that's the bottom line that's what i'm what i'm saying i completely understand that he's able to do a job there but I think as much as Roy says that he's underrated by some and all this kind of stuff, again, I don't underrate him in in a position he should be in. I think the manager and staff overrate Jeffrey Schlupp as a footballer in central midfield. And I think if you were to put a different set of management and staff in there, I would find it highly unlikely that any of them would be selecting Jeffrey Schlupp as a central midfielder. I genuinely believe that. I could be completely wrong. And I could be being pig-headed and blind and what have you and I'll, I'll accept that criticism um if you feel that way that's fine I just happen to have that opinion um but yeah it, it I find it a little bit grating but I don't want it to get lost in, in the fact I'm, I'm not criticizing Jeffrey Schlapp and certainly not for the performance against Norwich because I think he had a very very good game okay so let's let's get on to the last topic uh we've been asked by someone to discuss this actually so uh Pete Trainer. um we were we were on Twitter. Um, a couple of us had posted, reposted some comments about the atmosphere in the ground, um, and it it became a bit of a forum for um, people's points of view, which you know is very divisive. It goes back to, at the very least, last season with the HF um, and moving and all that kind of stuff. The E four hundred, and we don't need to go over any of that again. But um, he made uh, this comment, this tweet. Can you have more, stroke, some discussion about stuff like this in the pod? As you struggle to find anything positive or optimistic about the team, stroke games, which is making me switch off now, uh, maybe some some more debate about the club in general to incite some points of view. Uh, So, okay, so the implication there is that he'd rather us talk about um, the atmosphere in the ground than our rank negativity about the, uh, about the club. Um, I mean, I think this probably comes down to that, that one day that Hambo had had a a bit too much wine. I think generally we're quite optimistic. Um, 
or at the very least one of us is optimistic while the other one slags him off so um yes thank you for that pete um so i thought i thought it was well worth discussing um been in I mean, at least I think the four of us today are now in the middle of uh, the Lower Homesdale. Um, so we have had uh, experience of that end of the ground. Um, it seems it seems that um, a lot of the rest of the ground, and this is particularly uh, people in the Arthur Wait, we don't tend to get that many people commenting from the main stand. So if, if you'd like to comment more from the main stand, we seem to have a a very um, Arthur Waite heavy, stroke Homesdale heavy listening base. Um, But um, Arthur um, season ticket holders have commented that they can hear the HF a hell of a lot less than they could last season uh, when they were in B block or in previous seasons. Um, And some of them have said, well, they can basically hear the away fans now. Um, And that's led other people to say, well, everyone should um, have, you know, be be making more effort. Um, So, I think the question is, uh, to what extent has the atmosphere uh, changed this season? Uh, why has it changed? And um, is it anything to do with what's on the pitch? Um, I just want to say this. Look, I don't want to sound rude, but honestly, if the blocky isn't there, and I'm not saying that because I'm a blocky, if it's not there, there's no difference between our ground and the Emirates. It's an absolute library. There was a couple of times at, near the start of the game where... The Homesdale did try to initiate a chant with the Alpha, tried it twice, the Alpha didn't reply, and then tried it again later on and they finally did reply. But when there's moments, uh, when the chant stops, for instance, and you can hear the rest of the ground, it's absolute silence. And it's reached a point where it's just embarrassing right now. And yes, the expectations have changed on the pitch um, and people are expecting more now. But it's, it's still, I see that as a very, very, very poor excuse. Like, all right, the expectations has changed, but where's the passion gone? Like, are we not still the same passionate fans that we were when we got promoted to the Premier League, where we were in the Championship? I mean, if something doesn't change, it's very scary where we're heading towards because right now, I just, like, the main stand is non-existent anyways. Our only hope was the Alpha, and now the Alpha isn't, it seemed like Arthur has gone silent as well. And, um, you know, it's just, it's bad. I, I just want to point out that there's an infinite spectrum of people and you've got people that are naturally boisterous. You've got people right down to people that are very, very shy. Um, and it takes a certain type of, of person to, to lead something. Um, and in certain cases, you're going to get people um, that only really do um, start singing when other people have, which is perfectly fine. It's, it's, it's natural. So if you take, for example, this comment from James Macy, and we there was tons of comments. So I'm just taking some out uh, randomly. Um, so from the halfway line in the halfway, the HF can hardly be heard in their knee position. It's like being... It's like being under the concrete of the upper tier just absorbs the noise. Unfortunately, the move has made the opposite effect, and now the away fans are louder from my seat. So... If you take that some people are boisterous and they don't mind just standing up amongst other people, that's fine. But if you need a certain kind of uh, mob effect for the people around James to to start singing, um, it's not necessarily anything to do with um, the rest of the ground being quiet and like the Emirates. It's 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 literally an acoustics thing. 
um, and it, it just rubs off. So if, if it's not rubbing off, then does that mean perhaps E block is not the place and, and B block was better or, or the front of E block, you know, you get people singing more. It, it, I think it's a lot deeper issue than just, um, you know, th- three quarters of the, the, the ground are quiet. I think the three quarters of the ground being quiet is quite a significant part of the problem. But there is, as you say, also a significant element of just simple, obvious, basic physics that, you know, I've come into the singing section from the far end of the ground. I was I was in the White Horse for that. And the you could barely hear at my end. You could hear the away fans more. That doesn't mean that there was nothing happening in B Block. It's well documented. And on the occasions when I occasionally switched seat, I could hear what was happening in the main stand a lot clearer, in the uh, homestand a lot clearer. So it's it's just one of those things that it will take a while to bed in as well. And also, I think there's probably been a significant migration effect that people wanted to join the singing section and moved from places where they were previously a noisy, boisterous influence that egged other people on. So it will have concentrated things initially. The idea was that it would percolate and generate enthusiasm we've actually not had that many league home games yet so it's still plenty of time um so for those of you who aren't happy with the level of noise and support in your area um i'm not going to put it all on you and say that you should be leading that but do try and encourage others around you to join in and sing and maybe we can still make this really work all around the ground yeah there's a, there's a lot of um a lot i agree with in what you said there chris and, and in particular the stuff about physics and <laughs> where people are actually positioned and, and mike's comment about acoustics and whether or not b at the front of b was better than a i genuinely don't think that's the case i think some of it with the greatest respect to people some of it is agenda driven in what they're saying and some of it is just true because you know, if people move further away from you, um, you'll hear them less. But I, I think for me, there's a few things that I'll say. So first of all, if someone wants to tell me it was any, it's any different, I, I was at the back of Block W for quite a significant period of time. And it was very difficult to hear the HF in B as well. All right. And that's why we made quite a lot of noise up there anyway. And we had enough enough trouble, to be honest, at the back of the Arthur, trying to get W and V to sing in time with each other. <laughs> you know, so for me, I don't I don't really accept that there's anything other than a than a positive to come from having a much more coordinated set of fans who want to to stand and sing all game. And that's the whole purpose behind it. It's not so people can sit down and, and sort of take reflected glory and what a great atmosphere it is if you're sitting there and listening to to another group of fans expecting them to to make the noise for you so you can go on twitter and talk about how great palace fans are then you know really i, I don't like that but for those of you who are just finding it harder to to get involved in the noise unfortunately as as chris was suggesting that's the shame of it less you know fewer people are going to be around in the kind of less noisy areas because they've migrated to that area to join like-minded fans and unfortunately maybe you should, i don't know if you were if you tried to go with them or, or not but you know bottom line is it's for others to to, to step up as well because um you know it, it has has died in other areas of the ground but i do think that that's kind of what happens in the premier league dr was suggesting it, it you know if you if you take out blocky i'm not saying we'll have a site with silence set of fans there were so many passionate fans all over the ground but collectively 
to make enough noise to sing in time all those things that make for a great atmosphere is very very tough um if you're kind of if there's, there's two or three of you in pockets and that kind of stuff so difficult difficult but i would just say that if, if you can't hear other people what are you doing about it just try and try and think like that if you buy into it or it just everything just dies on its ass and we can all sit eating our prawn sandwiches yeah i mean that pretty much pretty much sums it up there was there was points in the game uh there's points in in all the home games i've been to actually um where uh, it did suddenly start feeding around the whole the whole of the homestale seemed to get involved and then it fed around to the office so um i would imagine that um as if and when football um is decent on the pitch people get more involved as well um so i, I i'm sure it'll only grow outwards um and it's it, it's a it's an idea the hf have floated the club have gone with um and i think they're keen to see if it works um there's obviously been some alienation um, in terms of I don't, people have been moaning about the large flags and not being able to see, and that's going to make them go quieter um, and possibly resent the fact that they're they're near they're near the HF area. But um, that is that is just how it is, um, and I don't think you can complain because it was something that was talked about by Steve Parrish and the club for a very long time with the HF to make a singing section and they've decided that that's the best thing um, to get the uh, to get the ground going more. We're going to give it a whole season. Um, so I, I think take a, take a longer period. Like like Chris said, you can't really go after four home games. You can't really decide how it's how things have gone. Um, after the first four games last season, it was an absolute library, but it ended up sorting itself out. So I'm sure the same thing will happen this season. Uh, we do have a few listener comments that we haven't covered. Well, well, um, I just I'll say, Max, I'm really sorry. You actually asked us a really interesting question, and it was going to be a topic all of its own, but um, not not this week. <laughs> We've run out of time. Uh, it will be on the Your View podcast. Um, we'll maybe try and pick up on it later on. It was just a general point, kind of about the extremes that people are going to. In the you know, we lose and everything's a disaster, and the club's rubbish, or and we win and everything's great, and Roy's a genius and how we're kind of flit, flitting between the two, um, which I think would have been an interesting debate, but we can pick up on that another time. And obviously there's a couple more comments as well, Mike. I mean, that that subject is going to come up again, isn't it? We can yeah. come back to that um, probably every week. Uh, one very interesting point, and I mean, it was mentioned uh, on the Sky Highlights. So Palace Ash has just said, Fortress Selhurst again, question mark. So uh, eight points from four games. It's been a while since we've uh, talked about Fortress Sellhurst, isn't it? And, um, you know, the good signs there. We just want to make sure that the away form doesn't drop off to match the home form from last year. If we can actually get the home and away form up to um, up to a, a, a really positive level, we can stop being selective about statistics and start looking at the table, can't we? There's an interesting stat from producer Mikey, who I feel like I haven't chatted to since time in memorial because it seems to be Sam doing all the producing uh, on all the shows I'm doing um, but he pointed out that in the last two seasons uh, it took us at least 10 games longer than it's taken this season to get to three wins so um, you know two of those have come at home um, no defeats at home uh, yeah I mean it's looking good but I don't think we've played quite enough games to be talking about that yet um, no. and the and the other comment uh, from Kevin Tua, to her, to her, Kevin Tua, um, Kuate was awful. 
Well, I mean, we've all got opinions, haven't we? <laughs> not one I was, uh, not one I would, I'm fully behind, I'll be honest. Uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, he, he, he seemed to do a lot of running with the ball uh, yesterday. Um, but I did notice he ran himself into some cul-de-sacs. Um, but he did seem to, he A, kept the ball for longer periods, I think, than perhaps somebody uh, who'd have taken his place in midfield would have done. Um, but he took the pressure off um, a lot of players in the in the sort of way that Zaha does. Um, but I hadn't seen Kiwato do too much. So I, I was quite impressed with him. I, I thought his end product was, was lacking a little bit. But... Um, I think it's it's one of those that Kiwato does that job or one of those jobs that it's almost impossible to define exactly what he does. Um, so, Yoan Kabai, um, I remember chatting when I first started the pod plenty of times and, and there'd be days when some of us thought he was useless and others thought he was he was really good. Um, when you've got one of those players that you can't really define what they do, um, they just do it and they seem to do it uh, game in, game out. So, uh, it's difficult because none of us are footballers, none of us are managers. Um, we're making comments based on the fact that we're, we're drunkenly watching some football. Um, so Kuwate is Kuwate is a tough one to define. Indeed, indeed. Well, th- thank you so much to everybody who got in touch. Again, we haven't used it all because we simply can't. Um, well, this podcast will be about eight hours long and I'd have even less time to do the work I've got to do before I fly to Glasgow tomorrow. So anyway, um, thank you yeah, for listening getting in contact do uh, share and subscribe the podcast rate us five stars on your chosen podcast app um check out the love sports show tuesday 8 to 9 p.m um and also the preview show which should be out i assume thursday something like that anyway always always a good laugh and some lovely insightful comments from the lads on that too and um, that'll be it we'll be back next week cheers bye The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.